Are you ready to challenge your rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, June 29th. My name is Sherry Roberts, and I'm your host. I'm challenging the rhetoric. Welcome to the show. Wow, wow, wow. We have a lot of information to go over tonight. There have been many developments in both the Oregon and Bundy Ranch standoff cases. Tonight we'll mostly focus on Oregon, but some of the information is equally relevant to Nevada, especially when it comes to co-defendants like Brian Buda Cavalier, a.k.a. the Fluffy Unicorn. And by the way, although I see many of you guys listening uh, cracking Fluffy Unicorn jokes, I've seen few of you recognize or at least show that you recognize what the term actually meant when he claimed it to be his name. Fluffy Unicorn was Buddha's way of saying F you to the man without having the balls to actually say it to the man. But then again, why would he? You don't bite the hand that feeds you, right? In a plea hearing today, Buddha swapped his plea from not guilty to guilty to federal conspiracy and possession of firearm in a federal building. In court, Cavalier stated, I was a bodyguard for Adam Bundy, which could have led to intimidation for any employee. He also went on, he, he, let me tell you exactly how he pled. He said, uh, he pled guilty on counts one and two. He said, I was an armed bodyguard for Ammon Bundy. I was armed for the first five days of my stay at the refuge. I did prevent employees from doing their job by intimidation. My purpose was to keep the employees from doing their job, and I used a firearm to intimidate them from doing so. I did conspire with one other individual to carry out these actions. I plead guilty to counts one and two. So we'll go over a little bit more about that, uh, you know, in a bit later on in the show. But right now, the recommendation for him for sentencing is 15 to 20 months in prison. Cavalier is now considered by the prosecution to be a quote-unquote cooperating witness, which is very similar, if not sometimes the same as a confidential informant. We'll get more into that as well in a bit. What remains to be seen, except by those who are privy to discovery in both of the Oregon and Nevada cases, is when exactly did Buddha begin cooperating with these feds? Anyhow, we're, there's a whole lot more to come. We also have a liar of the week tonight, but before I start rolling, all, ro- rolling it all out to you guys, here's what you need to know in order to engage with me during the show. During each live broadcast, you can interact on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric dot news, and of course on Twitter at CTR Newsfeed. The show tonight, we're using hashtags CTR, Oregon Standoff, and Bundy Ranch. All of the stories I cover are available on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news. There will be several new articles going up this week, so keep checking back, please, please. You can chat with us in the chat room. It's live right now. You can interact, ask questions. The chat room can be found at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challengingtherhetoric with Sherry Roberts. That's C-H-E-R-I. Click on show number 34. The chat room will appear beneath the slider. If you're already on that page and you don't see a chat room under the slider, hit refresh, scroll down. It should be there. If not, I'm not sure what to tell you. Remember, this is a dialogue, always a dialogue, not a debate. There's no personal attacks, aggression, or trolling that's going to be tolerated whatsoever in the chat room. Obviously, if you're listening to an archive, there is no live chat. If you are, in fact, in the chat room, here's the rules of engagement. 
You need to be nice. You need to be civil. Sue Shugarts is in the chat room. She is my social media manager as well as the chat room moderator. Uh, introduce yourself to her if you have a specific question for me. I will do my best to answer it. I'm not going to be participating as much in the chat room because I do not have a guest tonight, so I'm not going to have any downtime to kind of go scope it out. But Sue will make sure that I know if any important questions come up. And if I can, like I said, I will, I will um, stick them in there and, and try to address them. I also want to make listeners aware that I am using Podbean, not just Blog Talk Radio. Podbean is for archives as well as the pre-record shows I do. If you haven't listened to Parts 1 and 2 of the new series, Rise of the Modern Cult, you can find that in both places. I do do that as a pre-record. And the audio quality you'll notice is much different because I'm able to use my mic when I'm doing pre-records. Anyhow, um, so there is a part three coming to that, by the way. That should be available tomorrow, and there will be at least a part four, if not a part five, also to come. I hope they, that this new series answers a lot of questions for you, so please, please do check it out. So alrighty then, enough with the housekeeping. Let's just get right to it, right? Today, in federal court, Brian Cavalier changed his plea to guilty and making it public that he is now on the side of the prosecution as a cooperating witness. Because discovery is sealed, details about what he has or will be sharing with authorities will probably trickle out slowly as we approach the September trial for the Oregon standoff and then next year's February trial for Bundy Ranch. Now, one of the other things that came out into court today with regards to whatever kind of information that Cavalier is providing he has definitely already provided some because in response to his guilty plea for counts one and two, the judge had this to say. She said, as long as you cooperate with the negotiations you have made with the prosecution, they will likely suggest the lowest level of penalty for your crimes, which would be 15 to 21 months. If you fail to carry out what you have negotiated, again, have, past tense, already negotiated with them, they can suggest the highest penalty. Do you understand this? Brian Cavalier said, yes, I do, ma'am. So he has shared information, and um, we don't know exactly what that information is. Cavalier has been working with the Bundys since at least April 2014 when they had the armed face-off with BLM and other law enforcement officials in Bunkerville, Nevada. But when did he begin working with the feds? That's still anybody's guess. Is it... You know, I, I think it's going to be rather enlightening for, for all of us when we find out at trial whether Cavalier actually started helping the feds before the armed takeover of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge outside of Burns, Oregon, uh, here just back in January. Did he, was he already negotiating with them um, for any perceived crimes that, that he had or previous criminal history that he had? Um, I don't know, I, I, and, and I, I mean, I don't think anybody knows unless there's something like that in discovery that lays it all yet, uh, lays it all out yet. I'm not sure of that. Anyways, it's also worth wondering, as part of his plea deal for Oregon, has he turned over any evidence specifically or information about the events in Bunkerville, Nevada, not just the Oregon ones? Now, the judge did say that the deal that he made with his guilty police today do not in any way uh, reflect or impact uh, his charges in Nevada. So I think there's still much more to come on that. There's just a whole lot of questions. What information could a cavalier potentially provide it? I think that's worthy of more than a few minutes of thinking about. You know, Buddha was a bit of a middleman to many at Malheur's particularly, although he was Ammon Bundy's main security guy. Cavalier had a foot in all of the fringes that, that were at the refuge. 
for instance, as time goes on, we're going to hear much more about Ryan Payne and what his agenda really was at Malheur. Did Cavalier, did he share any information about Payne with the feds? He, along with Jason Blomgren and others who have made deals, including Scott Willingham, were likely to have been privy to Payne's plan, particularly. Willingham, like Cavalier, is also cooperating with U.S. attorneys. What is interesting about Willingham is his arrest itself. That made, that made many people uh, begin immediately questioning his intentions. And, what, and, and then, of course, after the effect, what was his intentions of being there to begin with because of, of how his arrest came down. I'm sure as well that we're going to be hearing a lot more about him down the line. But back to our little fluffy unicorn cavalier. Don't you want to kind of run out and rub that Buddha's belly and make a wish right now? Because it seems to me that he might have a golden key to a lot of information. And I'm not trying to give him more credit than he necessarily deserves. But when you're in a position that he was in and the underlings that have a respect for that that position, that can be played from both sides of the hierarchy, from the upper-ups and then the lowers. So I think there's still a whole lot more that's going to come out of that. And But, again, we need to be careful what we're wishing for. We want to make sure that the right things happen in the right order. So on January 24th, previous CTR recurring guest Mark McConnell uh, and Cavalier – let me rephrase that. <laughs> On January 24th, uh, previous CTR returning guest Mark McConnell and Brian Cavalier, they had accompanied Ammon Bundy to his Idaho home. It was just a quick day trip that the reasons are still not really quite clear, but Bundy knew his days were, inf- they were finitely numbered, not infinitely numbered. They were finitely numbered at that point, and Ammon knew that. And I'm sure that he kind of wanted to take time to spend with his family, and, you know, before all the shit that was already brewing hit the, prover- the proverbial fan, a few, stolen hours, a few stolen hours together will make up for nothing, you know, not, not, not compared to the lifetime Ammon has thrown away because if the charges stick with him, that's what he is really going to be legitimately facing. It's never going to make up for the father that's no longer there to play with and care for the kids. So, you know, was it all worth it in the end? I think that history will show that it's not. Hopefully at some point that family is going to wake up. I'm just not sure. But what I can say is that during that trip, Cavalier is said, allegedly said to have suddenly been in possession of $1,000 that he had previously not had. Cavalier was also said to have spent much of that money and that time on pizza, booze, and strippers, according to a source who was close to the situation. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. Everybody's saying a whole lot of things. But this source is somebody that would potentially very much be in the know. So if that is the case, where did Cavalier get that cash? Did the money come from the feds? Is that when Cavalier made his deal? Did he make his deal before the arrest of everybody, before the death of Lavoie Finnegan? Was it even further before that, or was it after the fact, after the arrest? All these inquiring minds want to know, right? It appears... It appears that at least by January 24th, with the fresh thousand grand, you know, fresh thousand dollars. I can't talk tonight. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, the fresh thousand dollars of cash that was in his pocket, that he was maybe no longer a fellow Bundy Patriot that was keeping his target secure, and instead was a man that was blowing through a mysterious lot of cash before his, uh, you know, his obligatory stint in jail as a, a, a cooperator, which is really kind of like a CI. What, so what was said on that trip, on that day trip, 
what was said to and from that trip to Idaho, what was said in the Bundy household that Cavalier would have heard, um, who did they talk to uh, while they were there? Were phone calls made in the vehicle? Were phone calls made from the house? I'd imagine that the feds have all of those records and stuff and that's, that are in discovery, and, you know, we just have to bide our time to find out, but it's all a very curious thing, and it's uh, fascinating to me uh, as this plays out. Very sad what has happened to so many people in their lives, but on the other hand, these are all adults who have made their own decisions. What I wonder is, was Ammon aware of the plans that Payne had in the works, or were those plans Payne's own plans? Uh, chances are Cavalier at the very least knew and told the authorities in part probably uh, what those plans were, which might be what prompted the January 26th felony traffic stop from the occupation leaders when they were en route to John Day, Oregon that, that day, that, that afternoon. What Payne's plans were still remain unspoken in the public and are not reflected at all in any of the court documents thus far. I would like to think that that will change somewhere down the line, but I, I don't know. I think Cavalier is pivotal in that potentially changing and more stuff coming to light. But Cavalier did have more access to the Bundy family than most. In fact, because of that, he had more access, period, you know, to everybody because of that, because Ammon was the leader. Ammon is the Christ-like God of the, you know, the whole land rights movement right now. And so just Cavalier being that close to Ammon was power over other people, however he may or may not have wielded that power. The secrets that he could tell are sure to be plenty, and the gravity of that could really mean a lot, and it should be felt by all of those people that have been involved, whether they're currently in jail or they're out on pretrial release or they are any one of the many others who participated or support, continue to support either of the standoffs. Being a cooperating witness is nearly the same as being a confidential informant, as I said, and sometimes legally it's, it's one and the same. And so we know that there are many FBI informants that have infiltrated into the Patriot and militia movements, and if there was any doubt, if anybody had any serious doubt, even those that have pointed fingers and accused one another, then one needs to look no further than the newly arrested Bill Keebler and the charging documents from his arrest. Of course, all of the Keebler cookies have been really quick to post their support of Keebler and deny any kind of wrongdoing on his part. Had the arresting documents not mentioned Lavoie Finicum at all, one does have to wonder if their current support of Keebler would have, in fact, been um, not so much across the board as it is now. Keebler allegedly tried to blow up a federal building in the presence of the FBI, and not just in the presence of the FBI. As the latest story that came out today, and if my audio is funny, it's because I'm reaching across the, my desk here to grab some other papers. The FBI said that there were approximately seven people present at the time of Keebler pushing the button, the detonator for the bomb three times. And of those seven people, one was Keebler, two were FBI agents, and at least one or more others of that seven were some form of CI, confidential informants. So the majority of the people that were that were there with Keebler, as, and, and Keebler actually thought he did, in fact, detonate that bomb, in case you're wondering. He didn't think that it didn't work. He thought that it did work. Um, but most of the people that were with him were of the federal uh, bent of, of the story. 
And so it's it's really interesting because initially what they had said in the first article that had come out about him after his arrest is that Lavoy Finicum in October 2015 had accompanied Keebler to scout targets uh, for bombing. And in today's story, it was a bit of a correction uh, or a retraction, and that was that Finicum did not accompany Keebler. Keebler was staying in Finicum's home. Finicum went to another event while Keebler went and scouted targets. Now, it does not say anywhere um, any kind of clarification. This was Finicum's home turf. What targets uh, were Keebler potentially directed at by Finicum? We don't know, and I don't really think it matters that much at this point. The, the real point of everything is, is that what Keebler did, for those that are supporting him, you know, let me use the words of the federal prosecutor, and that's Andrew Choate, and it says, it's a crime of violence. It's detonating a bomb. It doesn't get too much more serious than detonating a bomb. We're going to hear more about that. We've heard stories about the armory in Nevada during the Bundy Ranch stuff. We've heard about, you know, that they were going to, um, you know, try to get in it or bomb it. We've heard about Sugar Pine Mine and the intention of blowing up, lighting on fire a cabin and blaming it on BLM. We have heard and some have seen on, on social media via Barbara Berg's postings explosives at the Malheur Refuge. We've heard in court documents through Jason Blomgren's statements that there were, in fact, explosives there, that those explosives were potentially going to be used under certain circumstances. We have heard Ammon Bundy in press conferences say that they found some explosives there when they arrived. It is my understanding from multiple sources that there were also more explosives or explosive materials that were brought into the refuge. There is much, much more to the story as this unfolds and as we go on. And I think that when people start seeing people like Brian Cavalier um, make such kind of deals where they become a cooperating witness, when it's known that somebody like Bill Keebler has been so thoroughly infiltrated, it is obvious, or it should be obvious to everybody listening, that there probably is not a militia or a patriot group out there today that is not, in fact, currently infiltrated. Now, what are the reasons for that? I think we're seeing lots of reasons for that. Unfortunately, right now, um, there are a couple handfuls of people that are trying to, I guess, trying to claim entrapment and, and stuff like that. But let me ask everybody this. If you're doing something, whether you deem it to be wrong or not, if you're doing something that raises flags to the federal government that there's potential crime here, and they begin investigating you, and they infiltrate your organization or your business or your life, okay, in order to conduct that investigation, and they document it. Now, when somebody infiltrates a movement, they act like you. They're not going to do things that point them, you know, make anybody want to point a finger that they're a fed. So they're going to talk your talk, they're going to walk your walk, they're going to, you know, be your best buddy. Does that mean that they've entrapped you? Or does that mean they just kind of went along to get along so that they can get the information on you? Nobody made, nobody made Bill Keebler push the detonator button 
of what he truly believed to be a bomb three times and then hunkered down ready to take the first shot from authorities afterwards. Nobody made him do that. He made that choice to do that all of his own accord. And there is zero, zero excuse in the world, none, not a zilch, zero for him to do that. And that means equally there is zero excuse for any single one of you to make excuses for that, to try to justify that, to accept that, to support that in any way. None. The utter belief in this cause based on lies is outrageous. It's just absolutely outrageous. This vehement refusal to accept truth is outrageous. It's sickening. It is a disease. This is what is ultimately going to be these people's downfall. And as I point out in the cult series, the ugly of the ugly is going to continue to rise to the top for all of us to clearly see. The feds, they already see. The rest of us, it's like peeling an onion. We're starting to see it now. And speaking of ugly, I actually have a liar of the week this week. All right, so our Liar of the Week this week is COWS, the Coalition of Western States. Readout Radio recently put out an article that was disgusting propaganda. It was, I mean, it was just a disgusting propaganda piece for COWS. And um, we've seen COWS, we've seen their involvement in the Oregon standoff completely across the board, from Bosworth to Fiore to Matt Shea and Gavin Syme and so many others. Chris Ann Hall, I mean, I can go on and on and on about COWS. Now, cows have gotten themselves involved in the Twin Falls, Idaho case of a five-year-old girl who cows claims was raped by three young Syrian refugees. Well, Snopes did an investigation. Here's what is true. Police are investigating a June 2, 2016 incident in Twin Falls, Idaho involving a five-year-old girl and three boys aged 7, 10, and 14. Now, here's what's false. The incident was not a rape. The girl was not murdered. The boys involved were not Syrian, a knife was not used, and there was no language barrier that prevented police from investigating or detaining two of the boys that were involved. Cows, however, pushed the narrative that they were in fact, and I mean this article came out today or yesterday, cows were pushing, are still pushing the narrative that these three boys are in fact Syrian refugees. They're going so far as to claim that President Obama has filled the evidence on this case and forbidden anybody, anybody, to discuss or question the incident. Snopes contacted County Prosecutor Grant Loebs to uh, obtain firsthand information about these rumors. So he did confirm this. He said an incident did in fact take place at the Fawnbrook apartment complex in Twin Falls, Idaho on June 2nd involving a five-year-old girl, a seven-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, and a 14-year-old boy, just like I said. Loeb said that the three boys, they were in fact of Middle Eastern descent, but they were not. Syrian, and he had no information whatsoever indicating that they were refugees and that that's why they were here. So because the case is still being investigated, involves minors, uh, the, the, the prosecutor, they, they can't, they're unable to disclose any of the details uh, to Snopes or to me or to anyone else, including to cows, 
Uh, he did confirm that the police have been aggressively investigating, investigating leads in the case, which is contrary to what Cowles is claiming. Um, he said that all normal procedural practices have been um, not declining, but they have been increased, that there was no language barriers at all, like Cowles claimed. There, the investigating officers have, in fact, interviewed the girl and all of the boys involved. Cal's complaint, they, they claim differently. The 10- and 14-year-old boys are detained in juvenile custody while there's still an ongoing investigation. Lowe said that there was no indication, like I said, that a knife or weapon was involved as well. Um, it's no secret that... Uh, Assemblywoman Nevada, Assemblywoman Michelle Fiore, and other CALS members display their racist agenda at every chance, every turn that they can. And I have to take pause with this. As a child sexual abuse advocate, their self-involvement in the Twin Falls case for the purpose of propaganda, it absolutely disgusts me. And it should disgust all of you, regardless of what you believe and who you support. This should disgust you. This child who is already a victim is now being exploited and re-victimized along with her family for political gain by the Coalition of Western States. Why is that okay? This article that Redoubt Radio did is, it's, it's really ridiculous. It's a commercial for cows. Like these are, you know, American patriots that are out there saving the world one child at a time, and it's bogus. They're using one person at a time, and they don't care if they're adult or if they're a child. And so i got to put this plug in there. If you care about the safety and well-being of children and the implications of, such, uh, you know, of, of all this kind of explo exploitation, please, please take the time to visit sicknessofsilence.org. That is my other entity. I do another podcast, a roundtable podcast. I try to do it every month when I can with a bunch of leading experts as well as adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. It's a very, very important show, very important message. And people like the Coalition of Western States, people like M Michelle Fiore looking for yet another photo op as she looks dead in the camera's eye uh, across the back of this five-year-old little girl that she's fake hugging. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Shame on you, Michelle Fiore. You and your fellow uh, bovine cohorts, or is it cohorts, you are the liars of the week on challenging the rhetoric. Well, speaking of Fiore, it's been months since both she and Maureen Pelletier, a.k.a. Staff Sergeant Moe, claimed that a new mass round of indictments were coming in Nevada. So far, we've seen no such thing. And now, with the news about Brian Cavalier, you know, that fluffy unicorn, those rumors have resurfaced and they're picking up speed once again. Will the information and or evidence Cavalier provides land even more people in jail? It's possible, but we have to wait to find out. Needless rumors in advance uh, only further scatter people, only further endanger people, uh, I mean, I, I'm, if people want to implicate other people, then go for it. But when you're doing things that incite fear intentionally for some weird personal agenda, you are putting other people in danger, including people you profess to care about. What is probable is other co-defendants who are cutting deals will now feel a, 
a bigger fire under their asses and be compelled to talk now that Cavalier and Willingham have both spoken. Have any of those who have already made plea deals or had the privilege of pre-release already talked? I don't know. I'm sure some have. However, if there were anything as significant as the mere idea of Cavalier turning, I think we would have heard it by now. I think the biggest thing that we heard on that measure was, um, you know, when the news came out about Scott Willingham uh, a couple weeks ago and providing some information. I think that came out in the Oregonian. It was probably Maxine Bernstein who wrote that article. Um, Instead, what we are hearing a lot of is accusations against uh, Stuart Rhodes and the Oath Keepers. In fact, another co-defendant, John Ritzheimer, he tore up his Oath Keepers papers in a live YouTube video not that long ago. And he said that he did it because of what he had seen in Discovery. And he had alluded that there were that, that the Oath Keepers, that Stuart Rhodes, that he was an informant of some kind. Now, we haven't really heard much other than more speculation about that. And this is also more speculation, but uh, yesterday, Deb Jordan, it might have been early, early this morning, sometime after midnight, but Deb Jordan, Internet talk show host Pete Santilli's girlfriend, uh, Santilli's another co-defendant in both Nevada and Oregon cases, she alluded to the same in a YouTube hangout with broadcaster Mike Soror, she was, she's promising that she's writing an article about it that is soon to be posted on Santilli's website. Now, I don't know what information she has. I would be, her and Santilli are not married, so I don't know if she has the same rights to discovery as if she was Santilli's wife. That's something that I haven't really thought much about. She did say in this hangout that she wasn't privy to whatever John Ritzheimer had seen. So that makes me think that that is a very real possibility. And so for Santilli supporters that have been down on Deb Jordan because she hasn't shared uh, some information that you felt that she should be sharing with you, um, there's a lot of reasons for that. She might not have the information, but also, like she said in that hangout, she has been told not to. She herself catches herself saying things that she shouldn't be saying due to emotion or anger and stuff. Now, that's one of the things that I tried to point out to her from the beginning of the arrest, and I was attacked for it. I'm glad to see that people are starting to see the light because not only are they hurting themselves and the people in jail, but they're hurting the country because people are being endangered because of opinions. And it's it's really just a, an amazing, amazing thing. You know, people want to reinforce their ideas because it, it validates or confirms themselves in some ways. And, you know, I don't know. So I'm anxious to see the article that she puts out uh, whether any of that information is coming directly from Santilli, the mail at Inverness Jail is in fact monitored and uh, and copied if it's not to their legal counsel. So I don't know that anything like that could actually make its way out of the jail. It might. Um, she does have conversations with him and, and other people that are involved with other co-defendants. So even though they're not supposed to be talking about discovery, uh, they're talking, not, not only amongst each other, but they're, you know, they think they're being sly with all the hints and, and or their, their wise choice of verbiage that they decide to use for things out there, and they really aren't. It's very obvious, and they're, you know, which is fine, keep it up. It's, we like to hear it, but they're only hurting themselves. I mean, there's feds to the left of me and a Joker J to the right, and here I am, stuck here reviewing YouTube. <laughs> you know, it's one, one YouTube video after another, and it's like, what do what do we do with all of this information as it's coming at you? And you're trying to decipher what's real and what's not, especially 
especially when that information is from these people that are, you know, in jail. You know, when you're going back and you're looking, looking over either reading or listening to all the different things that are that are out there with it, with you know, the, I mean, Santilli alone was so prolific in his broadcasting. What does that mean in hindsight now? What what has everybody involved already done that they can't take back? What has it taught anybody yet that is on the outside of those jails that are in support of these people? What I'm seeing is a lot of people seem to think if they block people or make things private or whatever, that the feds can't see it either. But yet we know that that's not true. So I don't know what people are learning aside from more paranoia. What I do know is that the quote-unquote patriot movement is falling apart. It's been falling apart, but it is splintering in so many ways. Now, the truth is, is that every kind of activist group, every movement goes through this. Uh, not all these arrests and charges, but the splintering, the the factioning, the you know the the angst and the backbiting and and all of that. Today, on the on the Soror video that I that I watched with Deb Jordan, it was on the heels of a previous video, apparently from yesterday, that Soror had done about one of the main aggressive vile players in all of it, all of this, and that's Deborah Venatucci. Now, Venatucci. I've said this before, but let me be very clear here. Go back through her Facebook timeline while it's available, okay? Deborah Venatucci was unknown to pretty much everybody in the Patriot Militia movement. Deborah Venatucci, Venatucci had really no ties to anybody or anything involved in any of this. However, after the arrest, all of a sudden she signed up to be a rep with Legal Shield, which is the former prepaid legal. And it's kind of like a multi-level marketing legal thing. Now I had prepaid legal many, many years ago and I, I utilized it. So I mean if you work it, I didn't work for them. I used it for myself for legal needs I had during a divorce. And and it was great. But the MLM aspect of it for for Venatucci is she works for them so you you know you want to get other people to sign up and work under you. It's this whole pyramid thing, blah blah blah. Regardless of all of that, because we'll get more into that in the cult series in part three of the cult series. But um, she is just this vile creature who is nothing better than a war profiteer. This woman basically just like the feds infiltrated the nine uh, not not the nine the the well probably that too, but the. Uh, the Patriot Movement, after the arrest and the death of Lavoie Finnegan. And she joined herself at the hip with Mo, uh, with Staff Sergeant Mo, Maureen Peltier, and others, Janet Albrecht and, and other people. And she passed herself off as, you know, this great person. I don't know if she shared her past criminal history with uh, these people initially, but she is not a nice person. And she has done some horrific things. Now, if she joined this movement to sell them paralegal, prepaid legal stuff, what does that say about her? Why is Jeanette Finnicum and the Finnicum family hawking, literally hawking legal shield to their followers? 
Deborah Venetucci, Venetucci is probably making bank. And that would explain to all of those that have been friends with her, to all of those that have been attacked by her, that would explain her complete viciousness, okay? She's protecting her bank account. That is why she is so in everybody's face. She needs to keep everybody riled up. She needs even to keep everybody in trouble. It only behooves her if more people go to jail for mimicking her behavior. Deborah Venetucci is a patriot profiteer, and somebody needs to let the Bundys and the Finicums really know the down low on that. I mean, there is so much here. These people, in wanting to believe in this great notion that they had, that they believed that they had, that they believed to be great, they wanted to believe in one another also because they thought they shared the same ideology, the same ideals, the same morals, the same beliefs. But they don't. And I've said that from day one. That's why when you look at someone like Santilli and Ritzheimer and, and, and Ammon Bundy and you put them all side by side, it makes no sense why those three individuals would be doing anything together. They're three very, very, very different people. And this situation that we have now, as I've been explaining in the cult series, is one of which that has caused so much confusion because, A, most people don't understand the cult aspect of it, and, B, the confusion was set in because of the odd, uh, the very diverse types of people that participated. They didn't make sense to go together. And so Deborah Venetucci is one of those people that never really made sense. Now, I've had tons of people attack me since I started covering the Oregon standoff. Tons of people who have completely uh, neglected to acknowledge the fact that I've been doing this for a long time, long before the Oregon standoff. This is what I do for a living. This is my job. Um, I didn't come from out of nowhere like some people want to claim. I have not made a penny on the Oregon standoff. And I am not using the Oregon standoff or anything other than it's a very interesting thing to write about. And, oh, by the way, I happen to be an Oregonian too. So it does matter to me, maybe a little bit different than other people across the country. Although, to be clear, everybody across the country should be paying more attention to what's happening here in Oregon and also what's uh, going down in Nevada because this stuff is very, very historical. And we have several of the Bundy and or Santilli supporters um, and then some of the other fringe out of that who have tried to point out the historical nature of what's going on, but they have it, you know, they have it asked backwards. And what they're trying to um, push on you, on all of the ones paying attention to them, as what is historical and relevant and important about it, it all that stuff is kind of true, but the backwards part of it is it's, it's the patriots, as they call them, that are in jail and the supporters that are not in jail that are perpetuating the very things that they fear, okay? So when, I mean, it's, it's almost like the reverse scenario about paranoia, you know, the thing about, you know, you're not paranoid if people are really after you. Okay, well, they're not wrong about these things that could come down, but it's they themselves that are, that are perpetuating those things to come down. And hopefully at some point they wake up because those things will, in fact, affect a lot of us across the country. You know, we're talking about how things will affect our First Amendment rights, 
how things will affect our, our, our Second Amendment, our Fifth Amendment, our Fourteenth Amendment. I mean, there's a whole lot at risk here in a lot of different ways. And it is our job as citizens of this country. It's our absolute obligation to pay attention to this. There's not anybody in this country that has a right to bitch or complain about anything. You, you don't have a right to that if you are not participating in it. And the problem is, is that you can't suddenly just pick up your gun and say, okay, I participated enough and this is, this is where I'm going now. Because all these people that did pick up their guns, that, that tried to say that they didn't intimidate anybody, that they didn't threaten anybody, they were there with heavy weaponry. They were there. They made it clear that they were not going to leave. They made it clear that they would that they would shoot, that they would fire, not just if fired upon, but if they deemed that they were attacked and if somebody were to try to remove them. So, in other words, stomping my feet, holding a gun, neener, 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 come and get me, right? Everybody that wants to talk about this being an ambush out on that highway on the 26th, it wasn't an ambush. You look at any, any other situation that that they're trying to catch people in a felony traffic stop, there's always going to be a roadblock further up the road. That's how it works. And it was probably a good thing that they did have that. But as far as ambushing specifically to kill Lavoie, I would really love one of these patriot people, one of these militia people to show me some kind of reality as to why Lavoie Finicum was going to be a target of a death squad of FBI HRT members and, and Oregon State Police. I mean, are you listening to yourselves? Really? It makes no sense whatsoever. None. The more you people talk, the more ridiculous you sound. The more you people talk, the more the rest of us know that you need some sort of pharma. And that comes from me, who's completely anti-pharma. I mean, hell, it takes a lot to get me to take a Tylenol. But you guys need some help. You guys that are so steeped in believing this, you have gotten lost. You've gotten so lost from what life really is, what this country really is, and what it really is about. Because it's not this. It's not this shit. That's for damn sure. And anybody that thinks that this is their time for revolution I beg you to step back and take a really good hard look in the mirror. And I beg you to step back and start taking a good hard look at every single individual that you are interacting with and have been interacting with. You all want to arbitrarily just trust somebody because they're talking your talk until the moment you're paranoid. And then, and then you know, then you block everybody out, and somehow, without realizing it, everybody that you have cloistered in your little private circle, those are the feds. <laughs> Go figure. Do you not see that? I'm talking directly to you now, okay? Do you not see that you have a psychological problem here? And it is spreading like a virus, but not in the way that you want it to spread. And for the people that are not supporters of what the Bundys and the, the Sam Tilly fans and, and, and all of that and all the situation. We too, you like me, we too need to figure out what exactly it is of relevance 
okay, of import that is so fascinating to us about this case. For me, I know what it is. It's the historical factor, the way it can potentially impact me and what I do for a living, what my career is, who I am, along with other things. But there are some people who this is just pure entertainment to. And I, and I have to challenge you. If you're one of those, you too need to take a look in the mirror. Because if this is just entertainment to you, then you are seriously not understanding the further implications that may potentially come out of this. But what's worse is you seriously do not understand the very real danger that so many people have been put in because of the entertainment factor, myself included. I have been put in very real danger time and time again. I have had death threats. I have had rape threats. I don't even want to repeat some of the stuff of the kinds of threats that I've had because they're just gross. I'm not the only one. I'm far from the only one. And it's not just journalists. It's regular, um, just regular people out there that aren't writing anything, that aren't doing anything. So if this is all nothing but funny to you, then you need to think about that because you're participating in the real problem. You cannot go out there, not any of us. We need to stop going out there and killing each other in 140 characters or less and thinking it's okay. Sure, some things are funny. Sure, it's okay to share some things. And yeah, from time to time, everybody crosses a line. But there are some people that live and breathe for this. And those people are just as much as part of the problem here. We have to become better people. Completely, completely better people. We can't sit here and think that it's going to get better because things don't get better, okay? Things don't happen to people. People happen to things. So, no, it's not going to stagnantly get better. That's static. That's a wish and a hope. Wish and hope are four-letter words, okay? You have to make it better. And in order to make it better, that means each and every one of us, myself included, we have to be better. We have to be better. How do we be better? We need to realize the gravity of where we are today. We have to realize the power that technology has given us. We have to understand the very, very real spot that we are in as, as a species, really. AI, robotics, hack, all this stuff, okay? We have to master it now because we're not right now. We are its slaves. It owns us. Who needs to worry about the government? Really, who needs to worry about the government? Your iPhone will do it for them. And not even because they're watching, listening, hearing, but because you're a slave to that device. You're a slave to the bombshell headlines. You're a slave 
to your likes, your shares, your tweets. And this is across the board for everybody. I don't care if you support the Bundys or not. This is about who we have become as people. I don't like who we've become as people. And if you do, I think that you are not looking with very clear eyes because our country has utterly lost community. Okay, we do not have community in the ways that we had community in the past. We do not, sorry, I had to take a drink of water. We do not have humanity. We don't experience humanity anymore in the same way. Oddly, of all people to comment on an article of mine was Gary Hunt. He's like the kingpin of the militia movement, all right? Gary Hunt writes a comment, a very well thought out, very civil, respectable comment, very long, (laughs) on the article that I just recently put out when the document came out with regards to he and Ryan Payne uh, seeking information on Mark McConnell's background and that sort of thing. And I encourage you to go read what he had to say. Now, I'm not vouching what he says is true. Everybody has a right to say what they're going to say. But what I would like you to experience is here I wrote an article that was not necessarily favorable to that man. But he had, (laughs) I can't believe I'm going to give him credit for this, but he had the class to respond with humanity, with respect, and civility. It was even friendly. I know few people across the board that can do that with one another on opposite ends of things. Few, few and far between. Why? Why can't we? Today, uh, I shared a a link uh, to something on Chaos View Archive on YouTube. They had mimicked one of my stories or screencast it. On, on their show, Chaos Did, and I had made a reply. And one of the guys who has been one of the most vicious men attacking me for months and months on end now um, had to drop a comment. His comment was, uh, open mouth, insert cock. What did that do? What did that prove? What was the point? It was a waste of space, a waste of time, a waste of thought, a waste of whatever. It just makes him look like an idiot. Now, there's this fringe people, these extreme edge of people that keep rising to the top. You know, we all know who they are now, all of us, including in the Patriot Movement. They're starting to see who these people are now, okay? They'll applaud it. They'll hit like. They'll hit share. Hell, they'll go make six more videos about that little comment. Whatever but they're hurting the country, and they claim to be patriots too. Hurting the country. You know, caring means a lot of things, including what we put out there for the world and what, you know, what we subject ourselves to from the world, like me, having to spend countless hours listening to those YouTube videos and rants and reading all these social media posts and all the stuff that people send me. You know, I mean, it's crazy. All these people have me blocked, so... The only reason I know that they've said anything, they all accuse me of stalking them, yet I'm blocked. I can't see anything. But everybody makes sure I do see. Um, And uh, so that's funny. But, you know, even subjecting myself to that, 
you know, I I don't need to see everything. I don't need to know everything. I'm not overly concerned with their attacks. But speaking of attacks, I do want to make uh, Deb Jordan aware of something. Deb, you need to brush up on your meme-making skills, honey, because you always use the same font, the same color font at that. Your memes are very easy to pick out from other people's memes. So when you want to make another meme about me, you might want to switch it up. You know, words have power, and those who seek only to confirm those biases, I tell you this every week, they're the ones who stop seeking real truth. Those are the ones who isolate themselves by their own ideology, their own confirmation bias. Right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Those are the ones who become susceptible to those that have different agendas. Bad agendas, like all the infiltration these militias and patriot movements now are experiencing. It's because they're not paying attention. They're just grasping on to everybody that waves a flag at them. And they think that they're on some, you know, self-righteous, well, it is a self-righteous high horse, but they think they're on a righteous high horse that can do no wrong. And so, of course, people are going to gravitate to them. You know, it's this weird ego feed thing. And um, in doing so, they're just becoming the creators and the curators of the very things and the very propaganda that they say that they are fighting against. All of this freedom they're looking for, all of this liberty they're looking for, they're the ones that are taking it away. They're the ones that are robbing the rest of the country of it. They, they are the ones that complain about lockstep sheeple, yet they are the ones that are, in fact, it doesn't make any sense. But yet it does. And the reason it makes sense goes back to that cult series that I'm doing. So... Um, you know, you need to be able to wrap your mind around how things have changed and how these people that we see, you know, this I call it the creme de la fringe uh, that rise, rises to the top here. Um, you know, it's like bad shit, bad shit floats, right? And, um, you know, it's very obvious and apparent here the majority of the bad seats are. Ironically, a lot of those people will have fingers pointed at them and they'll be accused of being feds. I would guarantee you they're not. Um, They're just the people that are going to do everything within their power to make this worse than than it is, than it needs to be, and cause a lot of problem because it has more to do with something that's inside of them. So uh, I don't know. If you missed part of tonight's show or any of the other shows, you can find you can find them here on Blog Talk Radio. You can also find them on Podbean. Uh, go to podbean.com, look up Challenging the Rhetoric, and the channel is there. Now, Podbean, you don't broadcast live from there. So everything on Podbean is either archives or the, the pre-recorded shows. And I will be doing a lot more pre-recorded shows that I'll be adding into the live mix, the Wednesday live mix. And uh, so you'll, you know, you'll be able to find them in both places. But... I highly recommend uh, for those that listen to archives to catch them on Podbean because they seem to, it's a less cumbersome platform. They seem to play easier and better. And there's also apps for Android and iPhone that are free. So, um, you know, you should, uh, you should check that out for sure. The best advice I can give everybody right now is to have an open mind, okay? And in, also to have an open heart. Have an open heart. You know, that means that these people that are creating all these issues right now, it doesn't mean all of these people are bad people. Even people that are doing bad things doesn't mean that they're intrinsically bad people. 
okay? Understanding. We cannot fix what we do not understand. And we can't understand something without those two things, the open mind and the open heart. That is key to understanding anything. So please, do your best to not be so cold and brittle. You know, you can still have your wall, but at least open your window, okay? At least open your window, but don't just peek through it. Stick your head out and look at the bigger, greater view out there. Don't pinpoint your view so much. Broaden it. See more. You are responsible. We are all responsible in our own ways. Believe it or not, hate me for saying it, we are all partially responsible to what is happening in this country right now. Whether it's complacency or whether it's we've done too much like the Bundys and overstepped or whether it's we've done, you know, absolutely nothing or whether we have our head in the sand and want to pretend that there's nothing wrong. Okay, there's lots and lots and lots of things wrong in this country. There's lots of things wrong with this government. There's lots of things that we have to fix. The problem is nobody can agree on the right ways to fix it. But that's because nobody's trying to understand those problems. I'm going to be back live next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. And like I said, Part 3 of the Cult Series should be up and ready by tomorrow on Podbean as well as on Blog Talk Radio. Please check out the website, challengingtherhetoric.news. If you like what I'm doing, share my work, share the shows, share the articles, um, share the pages I create. If you really want to show me some love, hit up the PayPal account that's on the website. Uh, I'm going to be back next Wednesday. So I hope to see you here because the live show, I do that for you guys just so I can open the chat room. I'm sorry I didn't get to participate in there. I will archive it so I can go back and maybe address anything that went down in there. But when I don't have a guest, it's really hard for me to look away. So uh, I'll probably jump in with at least another pre-record on top of the cult series or another live show between now and next week. Until then, be kind to one another. You know I love you. Be open to people. Be open to ideas like you are to me. That's why you're listening. Be open to all those ideas that challenge your rhetoric, all those people that challenge your ideas. Say all of it. Get out of the extreme. Get out of the ghetto of the cult. I did it. You can do it too. That's it for me tonight. Thanks so much for listening. 